God reveals through this word. Um, it's the centre of everything that we do here. So, um, we're reading the whole book this morning. So, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be, might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother." especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that it speaks to our hearts. And I thank you now for Andrew as he comes to um, preach on this word, Lord. I pray that you would um, calm his own heart as he speaks. I pray that you um, would speak through him, Lord. And that we can all leave here today with something from your word that we will be reminded of during the week and the weeks to come, that we can apply in our lives. In Jesus' name. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Uh, if you're visiting, if you're new, if I haven't met you, my name's Andrew. Uh, I lead the team here, and it's really great to have you with us this morning. Um, just a quick word before we start. Uh, a couple of, um, this week, when, I'm all over the place, on Thursday, Friday, I'm going to uh, America for uh, two Sundays. Uh, I'm going to visit two of our supporting churches. A lot of you will know uh, 
and I've met people from Foothill in California. I'm going there, California in November, pretty nice. Uh, better than here in November. And then I'm going to Vegas uh, to Grace Point Church as well. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that. It'll be, uh, so please pray for me as I travel and preach in those three churches. But more so, I'd ask you just pray for Haley and the kids while I'm gone. It's tough being a single parent for uh, the better part of two weeks. So pray for that. And then when I get back, we're going to start uh, into a new series um, in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. That's what we do in Village. We, we just kind of take books of the Bible and work our way through them. We think that that's, you know, what Claire said. The Bible is God's word and it's through God's word that he speaks to us and we let him uh, largely just set the agenda through what's on there on the page. Um, so while I'm gone, uh, Nathan's going to be teaching next Sunday. Um, surprise, not sure what it is, so who knows? Um, hopefully it's not heresy. Um, no, I'm only joking, it won't be. <laughs> If it is, you can all tell me uh, when I get back. And then Alan McCluggage from Village East is going to be here this Sunday after that. Um, so, um, yeah, be gracious towards them. Uh, this Sunday, we're in Philemon, Philemon. Don't know if there's any other ways to say it. There's a lot of ways to say it. Um, and as you notice, it's, it's just, this book is just one chapter. Um, it's a pretty unique. There's only, I think, a couple, a few books in the Bible. Um, Jude is another one. Um, so I'm going to preach an entire book in one sermon. That's my goal this morning. Let me pray for us, and then I'll begin. Uh, Heavenly Father, just uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that it never changes. Thank you that you are always faithful through it. Uh, thank you that you are speaking to your people, this church family this morning. Give us ears to hear you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work in our hearts, change us. Uh, call us to repent where we need to repent. Call us to faith where we lack faith. And may we just fall in love with Jesus more because of what we learned from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm calling this sermon, I don't often give my sermons the title, but I'm calling this sermon The Gospel in Real Life because I think that this wee, uh, this wee book in the Bible has a lot to teach us about what it means uh, to, to live as God's people together, just when the rubber hits the road. Um, last, the last few weeks, whenever the queen died, I don't know uh, how much of that you followed, um, but one of the things that stood out to me is just how weird the royal family are, right? And I don't mean any disrespect to anyone, but they <laughs> get in trouble here already. Uh, but, but they are weird. They have certain ways of doing everything. And actually, this was something that was said by, you know, you know, people on the TV over and over again, like, oh, that's just the way, this is the way, this is the protocol, this is the way this family does things. Uh, I mean, who walks into a room first, the order everyone stands in, the things they say, the way they communicate. There, there are certain things that that family does. There are certain ways that that family just exists. And this leads me to ask the question, what about our family? What about our church family? Are there certain things that the family of God do? In other words, the question I want to ask us all this morning, I think this book of Philemon can help us answer is, how should the family of God live with one another? How should the family of God live with one another? I mean, if it's true, if it's true that we were once strangers from God, and, and it's true that we were once strangers from one another, and if it's true that we've been adopted into, God, into God's family through the death and resurrection of Jesus, if it's true that as 2 Corinthians 6.18 tells us that the Lord Almighty has become a father to us and we are now brothers and sisters. If all that's true, then it's true that we are a family. 
If, if you're in Jesus, if you, if, if you have trusted the Lord Jesus, then, then you are part of his family and we are brothers and sisters. This is familial language is one of the most common ways that the New Testament talks about church. It's right throughout this, this little book of Philemon. And this is why we have one, as one of our core values in this church, church is family. It's not just a metaphor. It's a reality. It's something to be lived out. We're not just the sons and daughters of God and, and brothers, of, 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 brothers and sisters of Christ. But we are sons and daughters of God. And if we're brothers and sisters of Christ, then we are brothers and sisters of each other. We are family. That sounds like the McCain, I just thought of that, the McCain oven chips ad. We are family. Um, there you go. And so back to our question. How should the family of God live with one another? What values should we be living out? How should we function as a family of God? Are there certain ways that we should just live together? And the Apostle Paul, as he writes his shortest letter, certainly seems to think so. Um, in this wee letter, here's what we see. We see that as followers of Jesus, we bring the gospel to bear on every aspect of our lives together with real-life implications. That's a long sentence, so let me repeat that. As followers of Jesus, we bring the gospel to bear on every aspect of our lives together with real-life implications. The gospel in real life, what we believe actually changes and dictates how we live together. See, this, this book of, of Philemon is, is not a book. It's a letter, like a lot of the books in the New Testament are letters. We get, to, uh, uh, we get to kind of peek in to, to what is going on in the church 2,000 years ago. And like most letters, there is a backstory. And like most letters, it's addressing a particular issue. So let me paint the picture of what's going on here. You see, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul while he is under house arrest in Rome. And he's writing to this, this guy called Philemon. And Philemon, is a, he's a kind of wealthy, well-to-do Roman citizen. Um, so think of a guy with a, a nice house and plenty of money, probably well looked at in the community. And he lives in the city of Colossae. And Colossae is a, a, was a Roman city uh, in what is now Turkey. So think of that. Now, Paul, it seems like, knew Philemon through this church the church in Colossae, that was planted by a guy called um, Epaphras. You read that in the book of, of Colossians. And the church met in Philemon's house. He says right at the start, I'm writing to the church in your house. Probably because he was a well-off guy. He had a big house, and so there was room for the church to meet in. And the thing we need to remember is that, like any well-to-do Roman citizen, Philemon was a slave owner. Now, that's a pretty hard thing to Come up against in our society, isn't it? Our brother in the faith was a slave owner. And one of those slaves was a person, a guy called Onesimus. Now, we don't really know what happened between these two, but Onesimus did something wrong. It looks like he stole something from Philemon and then he ran away. And somehow, Onesimus ends up running into Paul while he's in Rome in, in prison. And here, he becomes a Christian. And so we don't know how any of this happened. We don't know all the, the backstory. Um, can't wait to be in heaven someday and, and, and find out exactly what happened. All we know is that Onesimus is Philemon's slave. He has wronged Philemon in some way. And he comes to Paul 
and becomes a Christian. And so now, Paul is writing to Philemon to appeal to him. He uses appealing language to forgive Onesimus and receive him back. And not just forgive him, but to embrace him as a brother. See, Paul is trying to show Philemon, who he loves dearly, that in Jesus we are all equal because there are no slaves and masters. There is no rich and poor. There's no middle class and working class. In Jesus, there's only brothers and sisters. At the foot of the cross, Paul is saying, we're all equal. And the way Paul speaks to Philemon in this letter can show us various things about living together as a family as God. Because I think as far as Paul is concerned, Philemon and Onesimus are now brothers. They're family. And so there are certain ways that they should treat each other. And we don't have time to pick out every little detail of this letter this morning. But I want to look at three ways that we, uh, three things that we can see about living together as the family of God. And the first one is that the family prays for and honors each other. The family prays for and honors one another. Keep your Bible open if you have it there, because I'm just going to read some of this again as we go through. Let's look at verses four to seven with me. After he's given his initial greeting, he says, verse four, I thank my God, always, when I remember you in my prayers, when I remember you, not if I happen to remember, when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Even already, I think, imagine if we spoke to each other in this way, how good that would be. You see, Paul's saying to Philemon that, that even though Christians are going to experience trials, even though you're going to have people who hurt you and, and wrong you, that because we share a faith in Jesus, we can lift each other up in prayer and encourage each other with love. Paul begins his, this letter with a prayer. Remember, he has a goal in mind. His goal is that he would tell, that, that Philemon would come to realize that, that Onesimus is no longer a slave. He's a brother and he should receive him back for the sake of the gospel into the church there. But he begins with prayer. And praying for one another should just be a constant part of our life together. It's not just the job of the elders or the pastors to pray for the church, nor is it the, the, the responsibility only of the missional community leaders. Praying for one another should be a normal part of our lives together. And it comes out of our love for each other. You see, this letter to Philemon wasn't the only letter that Paul sent to Colossae. He sent another letter to the church in Colossae, probably sent them both back with Onesimus as he comes back to Philemon's house. And the other one is the book of Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 7 to 9, here's what Paul says to the church there. He says, Epaphras is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Epaphras was the church planter. He's the guy who planted the church there. And he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, and so, from the day we heard, heard of your love, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What Paul is saying here to the church in Colossae, it's because of their love that he is, he is praying continually for them. Prayer for one another in the church should be a natural result of our love for Christ. And therefore, by extension, our love for each other. Especially if there is conflict. 
especially if somebody needs correction, especially if somebody's rubbing you up the wrong way. It's really hard to stay mad at somebody if you're praying for them. When we pray for each other, our love for each other grows and grows. And notice how Paul prays for Philemon. Firstly, he thanks God for him, doesn't he? He says, I thank, uh, sorry, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. And remember, Paul is writing to correct Philemon here. It's not necessarily that Philemon is, knows that he has done something wrong. It, it's more that his, 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 his thinking needs corrected. Philemon needs to, to think differently about Onesimus and probably slavery as a whole. He needs to be corrected. And still, Paul is saying, I'm so thankful for you, Philemon. Now think about this for a second. How often do you thank God for your brothers and sisters in our church family? How often do you do that? Do you thank God for them? Especially if they're doing something you disagree with. Most of the time when somebody in our church family does something that, that rubs us up the wrong way or we disagree with or we don't approve of, what do we do? We usually just complain, don't we? We grumble. We probably just think internally or maybe we voice that to other people. Maybe we even gossip about them. I can't believe that she's doing this or that he said that. But this isn't the way the family of God behaves. We need to remember that we are members of one another. Like God has given us to each other as a gift for our sanctification and for our joy. And so we don't grumble and complain about each other. And we definitely don't gossip about each other. In the family of God, we're thankful for each other. This has real life implications. And Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, oh, Paul, I'm really thankful for you. He goes into specifics, doesn't he? This is what I love. This is the kind of encouragement that I need, that we all need. He says, Philemon, I keep hearing about your love and your love for all the saints and your faith in Jesus. And I just want to tell you how encouraging that is. You're encouraging me. Because of your love for all the church. And, and the, you open up your home to all the church. They meet in your house. That's incredible. I love how you're so faithful to Jesus. Keep on going. Paul is genuinely thankful for all that he sees God doing. And in and through Philemon. And this is another great lesson for us as a church family. Because if you're struggling with one of your brothers or sisters maybe you're struggling with me maybe somebody is annoying you maybe somebody needs their thinking corrected maybe somebody is doing something that you disagree with thank God for them encourage them encourage all the ways that you see God at work in their lives because God is at work in their lives if they are a Christian I mean, what would our church family look like if we really put this into practice I have to admit that often I find that I am too quick to criticize. I think a lot of us are. We're too quick to criticize. We're, we're quick to grumble. We're quick to complain. We're quick to point out the faults in other people. This is how our sinful hearts and our human nature naturally responds. But in Jesus, we have been made new, haven't we? We're a new creation. We are a new family. It, 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 you know, when the new creation, and when the kingdom of God is, is made complete, we won't be grumbling. <laughs> we won't be pointing out all the things in other people. We'll be thankful for one another. And in this family, even when we see things that need to be corrected in others, we encourage them first and foremost. We build them up. Now, 
This doesn't mean that we don't ever correct each other. This letter is a letter of correction, isn't it? <laughs> of course we do. We, we need to correct each other. I need that. You need that. But this is done through appealing, not commanding. Well, Paul says, listen, I am bold enough in Christ. I could command you. And also, you know, who's going to argue with the Apostle Paul, right? He, could, he said, I could command you, Philemon, just take him back. But he doesn't do that. He says, I appeal to you. Appeal to you out of love. We're genuinely committed to the gospel and committed to the Holy Spirit ministering to us through each other. If we're, we're genuinely committed to the way of love in God's family, then we need to live it. We need to, to work at giving an authentic encouragement and praise to each other for all the good things that we see God doing in our lives. When's the last time we did this? When's the last, think about it now, when's the last time you did this? And maybe it's something you, you do all the time. If it is, then that's great. Keep doing it. Don't stop. When's the last time you encouraged someone who you disagreed with or have a problem with or who annoys you or who needs their thinking corrected? I wonder what it would mean. You know, we need to think about how, like, what, it would mean to, to, what it means to us to receive that kind of encouragement. I need encouragement. You need encouragement. And we get to do this for each other as brothers and sisters. And Paul's not done yet. He thanks God for Philemon. He's praised Philemon for all the good things that God's doing in his life. And then he takes it one step further. He prays that Philemon would know God more. In verse 6, he says, Philemon, I'm praying that, that, that this faith that I see in you would, would grow and grow so that, the, so that you would know the outworking of it in all its fullness. That's a really kind of complicated a uh, complicatedly worded sentence, especially in the original language. But basically he's saying, Philemon, as you live out this gospel together, I want you, I want you to know all the goodness of Christ. I want you to know this in all its fullest. Paul, who is writing to correct Philemon, desires the best for him. He wants the shared faith in the family of God to work and produce the fruit that's the result of the gospel lived out in community. He's praying that, that Philemon, through the shared experience of living out the gospel together, would grow in the knowledge and experience even more of God's blessing. This is what the church is about as we live together, applying the gospel to one another. Paul is genuinely desiring the very best for Philemon. And this is what we're called to, to desire the very best, to pray the very best for each other. And this is someone in need of correction. Again, what does Paul do? He thanks God for him. He honors him. He prays for him. This is how the family of God lives together. We start with this. We pray for one another. Now, this is a pretty extreme uh, set of circumstances. I don't think any of us <laughs> will have maybe this kind of level of whatever is going on here. I don't think any of us owns anyone else legally and then has been wronged by them. If you own anyone in this room legally, then we need to have a serious conversation. But the principles are the same. We pray for each other. We honor each other. We encourage each other. Keep going, my brother. Keep going, my sister. I pray that you would know all the fullness And look at the result of this. I love this in verse 7. 
He says, I've, I've gotten so much joy and comfort from your love. See, Paul is full of joy and comfort because of his love for Philemon, because he has spent time thanking God for him and encouraging him all the ways that God has been working in his life. He's actually looked at him and said, look at all the things God is doing in him and through him. And you know what? He's full of joy and comfort. Now listen, I really need to move on. But before I move on, I wonder, do we lack joy and comfort sometimes? I wonder if church is a chore. Church, is church a chore? Is this family a chore? Maybe, maybe you're at a place where you come on Sunday mornings just because you know that's what Christians are supposed to do and you don't want to get told off. Maybe, um, maybe uh, being together in a missional community feels like hard work. Like, I don't want to do this. don't really like these people. What's in it for me? And it's possible, very, very possible, even in a young church like ours, to feel this way. If that is how you feel, then can I encourage you to do what Paul does and pray for your brothers and sisters? Think about them. Let, let God change your heart and grow in your affections for them as you pray for them. Go out of your way to honor your brothers and sisters. Encourage them. Go up to someone today. After we're done, go up to someone and encourage them. Tell them, I see, I see God doing this in your life and it's incredible for me to see. It gives me joy and comfort. And, then, and instead of defaulting to complaining or grumbling or even just thinking grumpy thoughts about each other, actually seek out things to encourage each other in. This is what we are called to do. And the result will be, like Paul, we can say to each other, I've got so much joy and comfort from your love. We are a gift to each other. This is what living as the family of God should be. But Paul's not finished there. That's the first thing we see, but he's not finished yet. The second thing we see about living together with the family of God is that the family resolves conflict. And this is massive. Not just in the case of a master and a slave, but for all of us. Can you, actually, let me just read it. Let me just read from verse 8, and I'll go down to verse 16. He says, Accordingly, so because of all I'm praying for you, and because of all that God is doing in you, Philemon, because of all that, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. So when he's correcting Philemon, he's not, he's not saying, just do it this way because the Bible says so. He's appealing to his heart. I, Paul, an old man now and a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. He wants his heart to be changed in this matter. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a, a slave, a bondservant, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Um, uh, on Friday, I was sitting reading that chunk, and then I started to think, oh, imagine, imagine Onesimus in this situation, right? On Onesimus has come to Paul, he's become a Christian, and he's... Um, you know, he's learning from Paul. He's with Timothy. And it's a good time. And then Paul says, you know what, Onesimus? 
I want you to go back to Philemon's house. Sorry, you want me to do what now, Paul? (laughs) Paul, if I go back there, do you know what he's going to do? He's going to have me punished. It's legally his right to put me in prison. I can't go back there. Do you know what I've done? And Paul says, well, listen, Philemon, don't worry, because you're no longer master and slave. Imagine Onesimus hearing this. You're no longer master and slave. You're brothers. Brothers. In fact, I really want to keep you here because I love you like a son, but it's going to be good for Philemon and the whole church in Colossae to experience the equality and reconciliation that we all share in Jesus. In fact, Onesimus, when Philemon receives you back as not as a slave, but as a brother and as an equal, and when he embraces you, the ripples of that are going to move through the entire world and move through time to bring an end to slavery. Now, whether or not Onesimus knew that he was part of something that would would change the world, we don't know, but this is what happened. The principle of a former slave becoming a brother is one of the cornerstones of the modern world. This little letter is where we get the idea of equality from. We live in a world that values equality and is largely free from slavery, thank God, because this little letter is included in Scripture. See, Paul knew and he held dear to and wanted Philemon to practice and live out that in Jesus, we are all equal. We're all equal. In January 2021, during the height of the coronavirus pandemic, do you remember that old chestnut? That was a horrible time, wasn't it? Um, Lord something, former UK chief, uh, uh, not chief justice, former UK Supreme Court justice, on a TV debate, said this, I don't accept that all lives are of equal value. He said, I don't accept that all lives are of equal value. And he reasoned that while the elderly were were more affected by COVID, the young were more affected by lockdowns. And, And so he was saying that lockdowns were, and I quote, punishing too many for the greater good. And of course, when he said this, It sparked outrage. How can you say that not all lives are equal? How can you say that we don't all have equal value? You see, we, in our generation, in our time, in our place, we can't imagine a world that that says that, that, that all lives are not equal. We just can't imagine it. We can't imagine a world, we can't imagine a world in which this is an acceptable way to think. We live in a society and a time, thanks to 2,000 years of Christianity, by the way, that mostly values all human life as equal. But yet, in Paul's world, in Philemon's world, in Onesimus' world, this was not the way people thought. You see, in the Roman Empire, the life of a slave had very little value. They were the lowest of the low. They had no rights. They weren't citizens. They were property. They were objects to be used and abused. And trust me, they were. Some of the things I've read this week will make your toes curl. They were objects to be used and abused however their owners saw fit. And so when Paul tells Philemon that this slave is now his brother, it's really hard for us to grasp 
just how radical this was. Do you see what Jesus does in the world? Paul is saying, Philemon, I love you, and I'm so encouraged by you, and I'm so encouraged by all the things that God is doing in you and through you, but you need to see that you and Onesimus, this slave that, that the world tells you is nothing, that you and him are brothers, that you and him are equal. You see, whenever barriers and dividers and hierarchies that we put up between each other, ways of differentiating between each other, in Jesus we are all equal. The gospel of Jesus makes us all equal. The cross is like this great leveler. <laughs> like before the cross, we're all just sinners in, in need of grace. And in Jesus, in the family of God, we are reconciled to him and to each other. In Jesus, in the kingdom of God, in God's family, there are no slaves and masters. There is no rich and poor. There is no middle and working class. There is no unionists and nationalists. There is no British and Irish. There is no orange and green. There is no, none of those things. The family of God is marked by equality and reconciliation. Listen to verse 15 and 16 again, because they're just incredible. Paul says, for this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a little while. Listen, Philemon, maybe all of this has happened. Why? So that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. Do you see what the gospel does? Philemon had lost Onesimus temporarily, but now he's getting him back forever. He had lost a slave, but he had gained a brother. This is what Jesus does. Think about Philemon and Onesimus right now. I mean, not in the letter, I mean, Right now, what are they doing? They are together in the presence of Jesus, worshiping him right now. And they're going to do that, enjoying him together forever. This is why conflict resolution is vital in God's family, because we are family forever. We can't afford not to forgive each other when we are hurt and offended by and betrayed. We pursue reconciliation because we are brothers and sisters forever. And more than that, this is what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? We betrayed and offended a holy God, but instead of punishment and curse, Jesus moved towards us in forgiveness at the cost of his own life. And before we were even inclined to realize our wrong or say sorry or repent, he paid the cost of our forgiveness. This is what reconciliation looks like in the family of God. This is how we are to live together as brothers and sisters. So when somebody in the family hurts us, and I intentionally say when and not if, because we're all sinful and we will hurt each other and we will betray each other and we will annoy each other. When someone in the family wrongs us, we don't withdraw and pull away from them. We don't say, that's it, well, I'm going to find another church here. We don't say, well, you know, uh, I'll see them and I'll say hi and it'll be fine. That's not what we do. Instead, we move towards them in forgiveness. Some people have asked why Paul doesn't just come right out and say, in, in, like in all of his writings, why does he not just come right out and say, slavery is wrong? Well, I, I don't think that he needs to. I don't think it occurs to him because it's so antithetical to the gospel. Paul shows us through his words and actions that it's completely incompatible with the gospel. Whether it's racial or sexual or economic slavery, it's completely antithetical to the way of God. Now, we, we don't have any master and slave relationships in our church family, hopefully. 
But there are other opposites and other hierarchies that can exist. Employee, employer, middle class and working class, educated and uneducated, old and young, cool and not cool, unionist, nationalist, and and probably a plethora of other ways that that we uh, choose to divide ourselves and put ourselves above other people. But the gospel smashes them all to bits. When we're all just standing in front of the cross of Jesus and realizing the depth of our, our, our need of God's grace and mercy, how can we ever think that we have anything to hold over anybody else? How can we ever think that in this family we are better than anyone else? Even when we've been wronged. You know when someone does you, you wrong, you, you, you get a certain power from that. You have the power whether to forgive them or not to forgive them. That power is smashed to pieces by the gospel. We're all just sinners in need of God's grace. I say this often, I say it all the time, and I I hold to it like we're all just relying on the grace of Jesus. That's all any of us have, equally. That's all any of us are, regardless of our station in life. That's why in a few minutes we'll come to this table as brothers and sisters, equally. Now listen, let's think about this for a second. If we really believe this and put this into practice, how would it change how we think about and treat our brothers and sisters? When you are hurt or betrayed by your brother, what are you going to do? Men, how are you going to look at and think about your sisters in Christ? Leaders, myself included, how do we see those under our leadership? Do we lord our authority over them or do we see them as our equals, reconciled to God and each other? Think about the contrast of how the Roman Empire saw Onesimus and how Paul saw him and how he's pleading with Philemon to see him. See, the Roman Empire saw Onesimus as a slave, as a piece of property, no more than a robot to do your bidding. But Paul in stark contrast to this, sees Onesimus as a a dear, beloved brother. He's now part of the family, the lowest of the low, and the highest of society are made equal at the cross of Jesus. This is what the gospel does, and this is how we must see each other. This is how the family of God lives with each other. This is what we do for one another in Jesus. We pursue forgiveness and reconciliation. We treat each other as equals because in Jesus, that's what we are. By extension, we live that out in the world as well. So we pray for each other and honor each other, reconcile to one another and treat each other as equals. And then finally, I want us to see that the family lives out the gospel for one another. I'll just take the time to read the 17 to 21, if you have it open. This is final appeal to Philemon. He says, so if you consider me your partner, Receive him, receive Onesimus, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, I write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, uh, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Then he asks him if he can crash at his place because he probably has a nice big fancy house. He wants some benefit from him. Why? 
Because he knows that, that the benefit, the refreshment he's going to receive is when these two brothers are reconciled. Now some people over time have said that if, if Philemon was, I even read this this week, if, <laughs> which is ridiculous, if, if Philemon wasn't included in the Bible, it wouldn't be much of a loss, especially in terms of theology. But those people are just wrong and stupid. <laughs> Sorry. The fact is, that the gospel of Jesus is just oozing out of this. You see, Onesimus has a debt to pay. He did something wrong, but how is he ever going to repay that debt? What does he have? He has nothing. He's a slave, right? But restitution has to be made. The wrong has to be made right. And Onesimus comes back to Philemon's house, and he's just standing there in front of him, and all he has in his hand is a letter, a letter that says, receive him as you would receive me. Whatever wrong he has done, whatever he owes you, charge that to me. Look, this is my own handwriting. This is my signature. I, Paul, will repay this man's debts. Now, does that remind you of anything? Doesn't that remind you of you? Doesn't this sound like Jesus has written a letter to God on your behalf? We've wronged God. We've sinned against him by our nature and our decisions over and over and over again. And we're standing in front of him with a debt hanging over us that, that we just can't pay. We've no, nothing to pay it with. How can we repay our debt against God? Isaiah 64 tells us that our, even our goodest, our goodest, our best works are, are, are like filthy rags. We're standing there and we're saying, Lord, I, I have a debt, but I've got nothing to pay it with. All I have is this letter. A letter from Jesus, a letter from my Savior. And he says, Father, receive, receive them as you have received me. Whatever wrong they have done, whatever he owes you, charge that to me. Look, Father, this is my own handwriting. It's my own signature. I paid it with my blood. I'm writing it in my blood. I, Jesus, your, own, your only begotten Son, has paid this man's debts. And the father, who knows that the penalty of sin is death, charges death to his son's account. He says, charge it to my account. Jesus pays the debt. Jesus died instead of us. He took our place. He paid our debt. He washed us in his blood. He, he, he died for us. And so we have life and freedom and glory and forgiveness. And all because Jesus paid it all. And if you aren't a Christian here this morning, please believe that Jesus has done this for you. He has paid your debt. He has, has taken on the penalty of your sin. And, and just by accepting that Jesus has done that, you can have the freedom and the glory. You can move from being a slave to being a sibling. This is the gospel. You know, he, you know, Paul in this letter never mentions Jesus' death. But actually he does, because here's the gospel. On our behalf, Jesus says, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I will repay it. That's the gospel we believe. And this is the gospel then that we live out in real life with each other. It shouldn't be lost on us that Paul lives out the gospel. You know what Paul does here? He stands in between Philemon and Onesimus, and he says, I will pay this man's debts. Charge it to me. Paul takes what he believes about Jesus and applies it to his real life. 
Paul takes on the debt of Onesimus so that Philemon and him can be reconciled. You see, in order to live as the family of God, we don't just believe the gospel in our heads. We don't just show up to a service once a week. Live it out with one another. Remember who we once were. You and me. Before God, we're Onesimus. We're the slave that has done wrong and stolen and ran away and deserves to be punished. We couldn't afford to repay it, but somebody stood in our place and appealed our case and paid the debt. And this is how we live with one another. We follow Paul's example. We live like Jesus for each other at real cost. See, it's one thing to believe it with your head, but it's another thing to live it out for each other. There is going to be a cost to this. It really cost Paul something to take on Onesimus' debt. And it will be costly to forgive one of your brothers or sisters who wrongs you or hurts you or betrays you. It will be costly to serve one another as Christ has served us. It will be costly to bear each other's burdens and pay each other's debts. Living out the gospel among and for each other will cost us time and money and resources. But this is what we are called to because this is what Christ has done for us. And as he has done for us, so we are called to follow in his footsteps. And as we learn to live together as God's family, the result is joy and comfort and refreshment. This is a cost to this. What we receive in, in return is not a slave. We receive, receive brothers and sisters, right? We're full of joy and comfort and refreshment. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you. Refresh my heart. So as we learn to live out or live together as God's family, we need to pray for each other and honor each other with encouragement and praise. And as we do this, our love for each other is going to grow and grow. This is, this is really what we need to do as a church, as a family. We need to realize that because of the cross of Jesus, we are all equal. All those barriers and, and hierarchies that the world tells us we have between each other, they're all gone. In this room, in this family, we are all equal. We do all of this with our eyes fixed on Jesus, who stood in our place, paid our debt, died our death, so that we could be reconciled to God and each other. So back to our original question. How should the family of God live together? Their eyes fixed on Jesus. Living out the gospel in real life. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Your word that tells us that, that Jesus paid our unpayable debt. Father, even though we stood before you with no way of, of making up for, for what we had done, Jesus stood in the gap for us. Thank you for this little letter that has changed the face of the world. Thank you for this little letter that can change the face of our church. Father, I pray that we would be a family who are committed to pray for each other, to honor each other, to encourage each other, to pursue forgiveness and reconciliation to live out the gospel in real life, Father. Holy Spirit, empower us to do that. Father, I pray even right now, maybe there's circumstances, situations that people are thinking of where they need reconciliation. 
where wrongs have to be made right. Father, I pray that you would move in this family to, to bring about reconciliation. Father, may we be known as a people who love each other so dearly that we will pay each other's debts. Thank you for paying our ultimate debt. And as we come to your table now, I pray that you would meet with us again, reminding us of your love and the cost of your sacrifice. May we then move away from here today changed, ready to live out the truth of this gospel, real life implications. I pray in your name.